Yo, what's up, man? What is up? Ooh, baby. Bro, I'm hyped. Me too. Ah. I'm hyped. I got my coffee. It's been about a week since we've chatted, and I'm I missed my friend, my oh, pixelist buddy. I miss you too, dude. And we got oh, we got a heck of an episode to talk about. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pixelist Podcast, where we talk about basically all the things we like: video games, movies, TV shows. In this case, Exandria Unlimited, the D and D live stream Twitch campaign from the folks over at Critical Role. And man, tonight we're going to be talking about episode five. Man, what did I'm you ready. think? What did you think? Uh, I I loved it. I mean, literally, my wife, who knows nothing about Critical Role, doesn't usually watch Critical Role. She was glued to the TV with me. Like both of us, were just like, oh dang, like this is getting really intense. So um, loved it. Uh, by the way, if you're new to the to watching this, I'm Blake. By the way, oh, I'm one of the right. one of the show hosts. My bad. So. I'm Will. Forgot to do the, uh, the introduction. <laughs> who are we? <laughs> uh, what do you think? What do you think about the episode? I liked it too, man. I feel like it's really hitting its stride. Um, totally agree. Like it's it's uh, what's the lit, what's the film snob term? It's like the rising action. I feel like we're like steadily hitting that, and like so many things are coming to like to bear soon i yeah i really liked it really excited for the direction it's going and these last three episodes we have left i think are all going to be kind of action-packed am, am i the only one who feels apprehensive like as to where this goes like i'm genuinely worried about our characters and we'll talk about this later but you sent me a picture that just like put a pit in my stomach <laughs> oh, you know yeah. i'm just like oh i hope that's not the case yeah i forgot about but, that um yeah, I mean, it really has hit its stride. Um, and we we've talked we've talked about every episode, and I've mentioned how I I had some personal criticisms in the first episode and the second episode. Um, I'm I'm sure people are gonna like discount me now because I'm gonna be like unapologetically like fanboy, but uh, zero criticisms. I'm really loving the show, really enjoying it. I love the style, I love the feel of it. Uh, love Abria um love robbie and amy um it, it is feeling really good right now agreed agreed i feel like everyone's really kind of found their role and it, everything's firing off on all cylinders now um yeah love the app probably one of my favorites uh it it's still probably tied with i don't know between three and and i guess this was five those are mm. the toss-up for me but it was I don't know how many times we can say it, but really good episode. <laughs> Anyone who like comes for the first time, they're like, and they always talk about how much they love the shows they watch. And well, I mean, we just pick good content. We don't want to like pick some random show that like <laughs> episode three, we still hate it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just not who we are. So talking about the shows and movies, games, stuff like that, that we love and EXU is one of them. So um, great episode for me as well. Uh, episode, episode four is probably my, ultimate favorite right now your favorite. um we actually my wife and i she hadn't seen the back half of episode four i don't think she saw really much of episode four at all but um we went and watched the pageant again and i mean she just thought it was the best thing that was so, great that so great. well should we dive into our recap <clears throat> yeah uh let's do it and uh for those of you that are new we like to do a little bit of a in-depth recap to keep you caught up on this long form content and we actually splice this up uploaded it separately so uh for for ease of access there so hello if you're watching that recap and you're interested in hearing our full discussion on the episode we'll link that below so please check that out too if you're interested um but yeah i guess let's just dive right into it um episode five 
of Exandria Unlimited. A test of worth. <laughs> okay. So, basically, the episode starts off where we left last time, with everyone still in Byroden, um, you know, after this pageant, and they've had their fun, and now it's time to be back on our mission, which is to head to the ruins of Cunara, which I still... I'm apprehensive about pronouncing because I feel like I'm not doing it right. We just need to embrace the quinceanera. Uh, yeah, they're on the way to the ruins of quinceanera. And uh, basically, uh, Abria is like, hey, is anything you guys wanted to do before we, you know, uh, trek out? And uh, the one funny moment is uh, uh, Robbie is like, can I keep the shirt? The shirt he wore in the pageant. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And he's like, stuffs it away, like pretty excited. <laughs> Um, but then Opal, the main thing that happens is Opal is like, hmm, you know, like maybe we should say goodbye to my dad. Um, but like the moment that happens, the pendant that she wears just breaks, the class breaks and her, uh, gemstone like falls into the ground and she's like, oh gosh, like what's happening? And, uh, Fern basically helps her fix it. Cause they're like, we, we gotta get this fixed. And so Fern takes a ribbon, you know, basically makes her a ribbon necklace out of it. And, uh. While Fern's touching it, she's like, she feels like a warmth emanating from it. And she's like, wow, this is like such a lovely piece of jewelry. And Opal's like, yeah, it can be. And uh, <laughs> Fern, Fern hands it back to uh, Opal. And basically, as soon as Opal touches it, it's like back to being ice cold. And uh, <clears throat> Good Arai is kind of picking up on like the, the subtleties here. And... Um, realizes that you know there's something going on with opal that she's not maybe fully revealing and uh the arrive reveals in this moment that like hey you know i actually have a twin sister too so maybe i'm getting twin vibes from you right now uh but i had a twin named fira kai and um it was my sister that uh i was meant to protect and ultimately was unable to and she reveals that her twin sister has died and so she kind of launching off from that perspective is like hey opal like if there's something you need to fix with your sister if there's something you need to say to her say it because you never know you know if this, this if this is the last chance you're gonna get <clears throat> and so opal's like right now in front of everybody and they're like oh we can go away and then she's like no i'll do it and so she leans in uh like to the pendant which you know is seemingly this connection between her and ted and um he's like hey Thanks for giving my powers back. And uh, where are you? And uh, Abria has her role, I think, an Arcana check, and she rolls super poorly. And uh, she's met with no answer. And it, she mentions that she doesn't feel like barred off from Ted, but there's just no answer, and she's not really mm -hmm. sure why. And so Opal's like, "Hey, if you're giving me the silent treatment, I'm really upset, and that's very petty. But if you're in trouble," You know, know that I'm here for you. I've gotten pretty good with my daggers and I've got these strong friends. So like, mm -hmm. you know, we're here to help if you need. But still, she uh, is given no answer. And um, so the party decides to kind of move on from this. But we do, since everyone's talking about their siblings, uh, we do learn in this moment that uh, Dariax also has a brother. And he just mentions that uh, he's two inches taller than him, which I'm sure is very important for dwarven people <laughs> dwarven people <laughs> and uh he basically says that uh his brother's like the opposite of him he like his right. dariax is always getting in trouble his brother was like the good one and uh mm -hmm. was always getting dariax out of trouble um but yeah other than that you know they hit the road and uh they briefly try to think of a group name for themselves uh 
but no one has any good ideas basically and they're like all right we'll keep marinating on this but it's something on all of their minds uh but yeah so they hit the road and uh, Fira Rai once again uses her gift um to ask like you know how, how long is this journey gonna be and it's basically revealed that they've got a few weeks of travel ahead of them and mm-hmm. uh, i'll let i'll let you take over from there yeah yeah so uh and by the way i love you mentioned the low roll i think if we were going to summarize this episode it's like the episode of like natural ones yes <laughs> and like sub five so anytime there's an important check just know they roll a one basically um but anyway so they're on this journey they're traveling and they decide to make camp and everyone basically goes to sleep for the night and then Dariax has a dream and like we've seen in previous episodes where the circlet has sort of reached out to different people individually we see the same thing happen here uh Dariax wakes up he's in this open field his friends are nowhere to be found and it's pitch black with like this um big purplish storm that's brewing above him and he's kind of freaked out, like calling for people like, hey, where are you guys? Well, suddenly the earth kind of, it's almost like a mini earthquake. Um, these tremors happen and the ground fissures. And in the distance, he sees this massive crack that opens up and these two arms come out of it. And not, not the rest of the body, just these two fleshly arms. And they have these, this, um, think of it as like, um, like if you're collecting firewood almost, it's this basically this pile of bramble and thorns and twigs that it's it's holding in its hands and it's starting to i think of like a person like wrapping like a, mu- a sound cord around their arm it's starting yeah. to wrap this bramble around its arm and as it's doing it the thorns and the the branches are basically like basically tearing at its flesh Ugh. and it's it's a very like uncomfortable scene and it's basically shaping the bramble into a circlet well, Dariax is totally freaked out by this, and he decides just to run. <laughs> so he turns, he runs, and can't see. It's kind of like one of those dreams like where you, you're running away, but you're not making any headway. And the arms aren't getting any farther behind him. And finally, he ducks behind, um, I think, like a small rock or something. And he starts to hear this voice talking to him. And it's this voice. We don't know if it's the circlet. We don't know if it's the spider queen. But this voice talks to him and it's kind of like, what are you doing? And he's like, uh, I'm, <laughs> what is happening here? What's going on? And he starts to have this conversation with this entity that is basically sort of goading him to think more about the circlet, um, sort of asking him about, you know, who he is and what does he want to accomplish. And Dirax is very suspicious of this voice and can kind of discern that this probably isn't someone to be trusted. And he eventually says, like, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I I think I just want to wake up now. He's freaked out. Yeah. And the voice is basically when he says, I want to just wake up, I'm done. The voice says, you're boring. You know, you're just a boring person. Forget it. So he wakes up. He sees his friends. They're all asleep. And he goes over to Dorian. And to Dorian, he basically wakes him up and says, Dorian, I had a bad dream. (laughs) Dorian's like, oh, uh, okay. And Dorian's like, yeah, I... Was it the one about yeah. the big dwarf lady? Yeah, right. He's like, no, 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 no. It's not one that one. Not, not that one. <laughs> and basically says, hey, can I? Can we sleep back to back tonight? And he's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. So they lay down. Well, Darax forgets that the crown is in his satchel up against now Dorian's back. And Dorian begins to feel really sick. And they're like, oh, right, the circlet, duh. And as they're basically talking about this, other people start to wake up because of the chatter. And basically, eventually, everyone wakes up and they start talking to Dariax on, hey, what's going on? Like, what's happening? 
And Jerry's like, oh, I had a bad dream. They're like, well, what, what dream about? And he's like, uh, I think it was the spider queen. <laughs> and like immediately everyone's like freaked out. And Orem especially is really like perturbed by this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, guys, we have a real problem on our hands. Like this thing is affecting us. We can't leave it here in the middle of nowhere. We can't take it with us. And as this conversation is happening, fear arise like, hey, what are you guys even talking about? Because up to this moment, they've never told her they have the vestige on right. them. Well, once she starts to press on this Dorian, who, by the way, Abria has him make a couple of different roles and he rolls poorly. It seems like the crown is beginning to affect Dorian more than just feeling sick. He starts to feel um, this ringing sensation, this buzzing feeling in him, and almost this sense of paranoia against Fiorai. And so as Fiorai is asking these questions, he's like, it's none of your business, which is very different from how he's acted as sort of this charming, I think, bardic fellow. Right. He's like, it's none of your business. Like, butt out. It's this group is the five of us, and you're just you're just here for the ride. Well, they're all kind of sort of thrown by his hostility, but Fear Rai is just like, no, okay, whatever. And Dorian finally is like, okay, fine, it's a vestige of divergence. And she's like, well, wow, that's really serious. Um, All I know is that my job is to protect you guys. And uh, Dorian is still very um, sort of catty with her. And eventually they just decide, you know what, let's just put the circlet in the middle of the camp sites and we'll just um uh we'll all just go to sleep and we'll just keep it away from all of us so they go to sleep dorian then has a dream he's in the same open field with the storm and um he actually sees fear Rai in front of him being it's kind of confusing how it's described sort of being standing there with these dark cloudy tendrils that are sort of encompassing her and almost like swallowing her yeah and he is basically like, what's going on? Where am I? What's happening? And he hears the same voice that spoke to Dariax that basically starts to talk to him and have a conversation with him and even ask him, hey, I'm looking for a champion. Will you help me? And it's presumably a champion to maybe even wear the circlet. Well, Dorian says basically, yes, I'll give you a champion if you leave my friends alone. And this is interesting to the voice. The voice says, okay, that's I'm intrigued. Who would you give me? And he says, I'll give you Pasca. And so the voice considers it for a moment and says, would you really give me Pasca knowing all that she wants to do with this, what she would do with the circlet and ultimately the chaos and destruction she would cause in Iman and its citizens, would you really do that? And he says, yes, I would. Like for my friends, I would. And the voice laughs and it's kind of like, this is interesting. And basically says, Pasca's too far away. She won't, she won't serve as a good champion, but I'm really intrigued by what you've told me. And she also says, hey, by the way, there's this part of your memory that I can see that you can't see. Do you want me to return it to you? And Dorian's like, yes, I do. And it's, we're talking ultimately about this pre-episode one memory lapse that a lot of us, we haven't known what happened here. Right. And he says, yeah, I do want to know. And she says, do you really? Like, basically says, basically tells him I want you to beg. And he's <laughs> like, yes, please, please do it. And so as he falls back to sleep, this entity restores his memory. And it's revealed that Fear Rai also has the memory of this event and has actually known what happened prior to week one this entire time. She hasn't been totally forthcoming about it. Yeah. So they wake up in the morning. Um, 
they are dorian actually gets near the satchel of dariaxes and doesn't feel sick he actually asks dariax who dariax by the way has taken a bunch of by pies with him <laughs> and uh says hey can i get one of those pies and everyone's kind of like hey aren't you kind of sick being near the satchel and he's like no i feel fine and abria actually tells us that his alignment has changed now from chaotic good to chaotic neutral ultimately because of his decision to i would give the crown up to posca um opal and fern notice that there's something different about him uh fern in particular notices this and decides to say nothing and the party continues on again um back into the, on, the, on the journey so by the way i don't know if you hear my kid crying in the background but i'm not <laughs> abusing my kid she just is having a bad day <laughs> uh anyway do you want to take it from there yeah yeah okay so you know the the camp they pack up camp hit back on the road um oh i did want to mention one thing about uh the memory that was restored we ba- we aren't given much but we were told that they apparently were all together in the fey wild yes and, uh fira rai did some sort of like sacrifice play that let everyone right. else escape through a portal and that that the memory that they all lost that now dorian i guess has and fira rai never lost so very interesting mm-hmm. yes um <clears throat> So they're back on the road, going to these ruins, and they eventually get to a point in the jungle where it's too thick for the wagon to continue. So they get out, and there's a there's a touching moment between Dariax and the horses. He has like a single <laughs> tear shed down his face as he like he's like, "Are they going to be okay? Can they get out?" And uh, they make some sort of check, and they realize that these horses are kind of more than meets the eye. They are like magical, and uh, they do know their way back, and they will be fine. And they take off. Which I, I imagine a Bria just being like, "No, they're going to die horrific." You know, you'd be like, "Oh, yeah." But anyway, so, continue. <laughs> so they get off on on foot now, traveling deeper in. And it's interesting that um, Fira Rai this whole time has some sort of like knowledge about this place. She she knows a lot more than she's letting on, and it's been this kind of right. it's been kind of the theme with her this whole time. Uh, but she keeps like like touching vines and like you know using her gift, and it she's she's got some sort of deeper connection that hasn't really been fleshed out yet. But she's like letting them know that, like, hey, where we're going, you know, make your intentions clear and mm-hmm. uh, basically being kind of vague. But anyway, so they continue on and they eventually reach this clearing in these uh, in the jungle where there is this large stone like obelisk that has lots of runes on it. Runes that are reminiscent of the one from the ash hole, a.k.a. the whole reason they're here to try to mm-hmm. figure out what's going on um <clears throat> props for saying that without breaking a stride by the way <laughs> appreciate that and uh so they're like okay uh let's check this out this might be what we need and uh so as they're kind of approaching orum's like hey hold on and they notice that there's these kind of like not ominous plants but these plants that are maybe there's a little more to them than meets the eye and they basically discern that uh because orm's familiar with them that these plants are dangerous and to like stay away from them because they're bad news. So <clears throat> they basically try to figure out what they should do here. And eventually, um, Dariax is like, Hey, Dorian, boom, I cast invisibility on you with the plan being that he'll just walk up to the obelisk invisible and be able to get the information they need. <laughs> Dorian's like, well, one good turn deserves another. He's like, I cast invisibility on you. <laughs> and so Dorian makes Dariax invisible, but him doing that action removes his own invisibility. So yeah. <laughs> now we just have Dariax that's invisible. So like, okay. 
Ariax has to do this. So they give him the pen and pad and shoot him off toward the uh, the obelisk. And uh, what no one really figured out is that plants don't have eyes. So <laughs> being invisible doesn't really mean anything to them. So Dariax still sets them off and, you know, he it's he smells fruity pebbles, we're told, and just can't resist and runs to the plants. But Orem is able to nimbly dart in there like a ninja and kind of kick some sense into him before mm-hmm. he's able to reach the plant. And uh, is like, hey, buddy, obelisk is that way. Um, so Dariax is back on track. And as he's making his way nearer to it, we start to hear another voice um in Dariax's head and it's it's not the spider queen uh, we're not told who it is at this point um but this voice asks Dariax uh why are you here like what do you want and Dariax very earnestly is like I'm here to copy these runes uh you know to help my friends and the voice is basically like you know what would you do if I told you you couldn't or you know turned you back and he's like well I mean I guess we'd leave and he's like but I, I really need these runes to help my friends like we're i'm trying to help and he basically reveals like hmm, well these aren't the runes you want these runes are kind of like a lie and really deeper in this forest are the answers you seek and he's like okay well can i still copy these runes and she's like okay sure you can copy those runes (laughs) and so he goes to do that and basically this voice then pops in everyone's head except for fear uh but she's again is seemingly aware of that this was going to happen uh, because she she's like, hey, everyone be earnest and stuff. So she knew this was coming. Um, and so she is not questioned, but everyone else is. And uh, everyone generally gives the same type of answer. Um, she asks them, you know, why are you here? And blah, blah, blah. Basically the same thing we just went over. But uh, a couple notable exceptions or at least differences here is that when she speaks to Opal, she asks, why are you here? Like, why are y'all here? A, a plural. And mm-hmm. um, referring to Opal and Ted. And Opal's like, Ted's not here. Uh, and the vo- the voice is like, um, you, you know, no, she's here. And Opal's like, no, she's she's not here. She's probably like in a library somewhere. And the voice is like, you, you know that's not true. Mm-hmm. And uh, she basically forces Opal to like, reconcile with the fact that she doesn't know where ted is and this voice actually kind of in a moment of like clarity shows her that like in some form or fashion like ted is in her um and opal's like did i swallow her and she's like no that's not how this works but like ted is inside of you and she kind of gives her a glimpse of like inside herself and she can Mm -hmm. see ted looking at someone who's looking at her but we're not given any any information as to who that is and so opal's like okay well like how do i fix this and the voice is like you know i'm not the one that did this to you so i i'm not the one that can fix it um and then she kind of launches into the why are you here but she has been asking everyone else and uh again like i said everyone basically gives the same answer they're trying to help people um but then dorian is asked and he again you know kind of says the same thing that you know we're here to get these runes because we need them and the voice is like, well, what if I prevented that? Or what if I like made you leave? And Dorian's like, well, if we have the runes, cool. You know, I don't care. We're happy to leave. Uh, but if we don't have what we need yet, then that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, nothing comes of this, but it's just interesting because Dorian is the only one of the, the party to kind of like push back on right. that a little bit. 
So, um, ultimately, Dariax finishes his rune rubbings and uh, makes his way back, and the voice enters um, his head again and is like, uh, good job. Now here, a final test. And in that moment, a big uh, Feywild-esque crocodile comes out from the woods, and um, they all basically roll initiative and have to fight this thing. And uh, combat's pretty funny because... Amy, uh, as Opal, lets everyone know that, hey, like, if we flip this gator on its back, he'll become paralyzed. And so that becomes the <laughs> game plan as they're all trying to get this gator up on its back. And uh, Opal ultimately uses her whip and rolls really well and is able to, like, Natural wrap... 20, I think. Oh, it was a natural 20? Yeah. yeah, I think Abria was really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> she rolls it around and, like, basically jumps over and, like, you know, in an amazing feat of strength, is able to flip this gator and uh, the party members that are paying attention, Abria says that like uh, Opal kind of blurs in that moment and you can see another girl who looks like her, but is not exactly her. Uh, and we, we know that to be Ted and you can right. kind of see both of them in that moment working together um, to successfully flip the gator. So um, they do it and uh, they don't, they don't kill it. They just kind of, once they've got it to submission, they leave it alone. They have passed the test and, even a few of them come and give it a belly rub because it, it wasn't it wasn't evil or, or hostile. It was just, you know, a creature serving mm -hmm. this purpose of being a test. Um, so uh, they ask after they've got that settled, they're like, yo, Darius, did you get the runes? He's like, yeah, I got them. And uh, he shows them to them and he actually walks over and decides to touch it because they, I think they asked him, like, well, what did, like, did anything happen when you touched it? He's like, oh, I didn't touch it. And so he runs over and touches it. And he is like, his mind is filled with all this information. It's almost like census data or uh, basically just like bureaucracy, bureaucracy, bureaucracy. It's just lots of like information. And he's like, oh, it's super boring. And Dorian's like, what? And so Dorian goes and touches it. And he too is given this massive influx of information. And we're told that um, this, it like represents a city of perhaps like a million people. Like this is... This is massive and something something deeper is going on here. And so at that point, they're like, uh, since the voice had spoken to many of them uh, and told them that they needed to go deeper to find the truth, they're all like, well, I guess we're going to go deeper. And uh, they basically set off to do just that. If uh, Yeah, so, yeah. so after that, um, just wrapping up this recap, they have a second uh, break for camp, basically. And um, as they are sort of relaxing and dozing off, um, Dorian actually turns to Dirax and says, hey, do you want me to hold the circlet for a little bit? That, that's a lot for one person to bear. And uh, I kind of got Sam and Frodo vibes of like, you know, Sam being yes. like, I, I want to carry it. Um, so Dirax is like, okay, yeah, sure. So he hands him the satchel um, with a circlet in it. And Orem actually immediately sort of steps in and basically says, give the dwarf back the circlet or we're going to have a problem here. And it just like immediately just cuts the mood. I mean, everyone's kind of just like, whoa. Yeah. And Dorian's like, <laughs> like, seriously, like what's, what's the big deal? And Oren basically says like, we, this is a serious journey for us. Like we need to be able to trust everyone. And he basically says, I don't trust you with the circlet. 
Um, Because Orem's been particularly perceptive on noticing that Dorian, whether it's his personality, something's a little different about Dorian. And so Dorian's finally like, you know, okay, fine. Yeah, what's the big deal? Like, why are you making such a big deal about this? Hands it back to Dariax. Fern actually offers to carry it as well, and she actually does hold it briefly. But her fingernails immediately start to turn black, and it freaks her out. Um, So she hands it back to Dariax. So they're talking about this. They're talking about this conversation. um, And basically, they decide to try to lighten the mood. And so Fern brings out her pan flute and begins playing. (laughs) She's like, what should I play? I know. Hot cross buns. And in theme with the entire episode, she rolls very poorly. And so it's this very off tune, (laughs) hot cross buns. Um, Meanwhile, um, Fear Rhyme, this is sort of the last moment of tension flaring. Fear Rhyme is sort of looking at Dorian and noticing that something's different. And they're also trying to keep the mood light by talking about their group name again. And so they throw out a couple of options. Dorian particularly mentions... Uh, yeah, the, these are really great options for the five of us and sort of yeah. shoots a glare at Fira Rai again. <laughs> and Fira Rai, as she's listening to this, watching this, we hear her seems to seem to use her gift to say, um, I know Dorian's changed. I know if he had to make the same decision twice, he wouldn't. Sort of pleading with this voice to say like, no, no, he's different now. Um, and we're not quite sure what she's referring to, whether that's the... Um, she's intuitive to him deciding to give the crown to Pasca or something that maybe happened in the Feywild. We'll talk about it more uh, later in this episode. But um, eventually, though, the party uh, drifts off to sleep. Opal has a dream. Uh, Ted's beside her, and she's immediately like, Ted, are you dead? And Ted's like, what? She's like, yeah, are you dead? And she's like, no, that's insane. Why would I be dead? She's like, oh, well, well, then where are you? Like, what's going on? She's really like, this has all come from this conversation with this voice from before that's been like, you know she's with you. Yeah. And Ted, probably for the first moment, has this sort of moment of self-awareness of like, I don't really know. I just know I'm with you, and I don't remember what happened. I don't know where my body is. I, I just know that I'm here. And Opal says, are you okay? And Ted says, well, are you okay? And Opal's like, yeah. And she's like, well, then I'm okay. And so they have sort of like this awe moment. They hug, they're laughing. And then Ted all of a sudden says, do you see her? And Opal's like, who? And she looks off past the campsite and says, do you see the woman in the purple cape? And she's like, no, I don't see anybody. And that's really the last of their dream, but it leaves us as the viewers like, whoa, what? So they're st- everyone's still sleeping. Um, Fern also has a dream, and it's in line with the same types of dreams that Dorian and Derex had. It's an open field. It's dark, stormy, cloudy. And there's this mirror there, and I think of it as almost like a mirror that's like the Fey Gate that they saw earlier. Yeah. She walks up to it, and in the mirror she sees Dark Fern standing on the other side. And Dark Fern's there with the same type of dialogue we saw in the previous episode. Basically goading her to put on the circlet and fern says will it help me find mama and papa and she says yes and she's like well so i just put it on and i'll know and she says no but if you put it on you'll have the power you need you'll the strength you need to find them so fern thinks for a moment and she says well there can really only be one fern and i don't really like this version of me so i think i want to wake up now And so she throws her cloak over the mirror 
and eventually dozes off to sleep and the mirror vanishes. And then uh, the scene cuts to Orem, who is revealed that he hasn't been sleeping this entire time. He's been pretending to sleep to sort of let the party drift off. And once everyone's fallen asleep, he gets up and he really just, he patrols a little bit, but he really just watches Orem, or excuse me, watches Dorian because, and Liam O'Brien even says this, that he's very suspicious of Dorian and untrusting of what's going on with Dorian. So he really just watches Dorian and eventually he too falls asleep. Uh, and that is where our episode ends. Not before Abria gives us a one final comment on, she mentions that, Elsewhere in the jungle is a woman who is uh, broken and bleeding, who's traveling through the jungle alone, and it's Marada, the elf from Singorn, who arrived at the Fey Gate in the previous episode. She's holding the residuum spike, and she's pushing through the foliage, and it's very clear that she's making her way uh, towards the party, and she too is wearing a purple cloak. And that is episode five of Exandria Unlimited. Ooh. What a stinger at the end there. Right? Yeah. And so much to talk about. We got through that one in about uh, just shy of 30 minutes, which it's so hard to keep these <laughs> things brief. I'd love to know if you if you watch this whole recap, if you're watching our deep dive episode right now, I would love to know if um, you like a shorter format, if you like it how it is. You know, Our goal is really to cleave it down to around like maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But as you can tell, there's so much <laughs> crazy stuff happening. It's like... How do we really cover all this? So yeah. anyway, we'd love to know what you guys think. But yeah, it's episode five. Oh. Where to begin? Uh, I know. I I don't know. I don't know where to begin. I really, we could, it doesn't matter. I guess we could start with the, what we just talked about there. If we want to try to start at the beginning, we could do that. Do you have any preference? With, uh, yeah, we could talk about you're talking about with um Dorian and the circlet, basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that was definitely the running theme of we have Dorian's alignment even change, which I don't I think you've mentioned that Matt Mercer in the main campaign, they don't really talk alignment so much. Yeah. So we have a bit of a flare of DM differences, uh, a little bit of a Bria style, which I like I like how she's characterize this of really helping us as the viewer understand that this is someone who's deeply innately changing right uh on their core level and we're even seeing i was really annoyed that robbie shaved his beautiful beard <laughs> but it's a bit symbolic of his character is oh. is changing okay um we see him a bit more abrasive a bit more threatening um what's going on with dorian in this episode i don't know it's 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 he there's a lot to unpack here because it's there's this leads to so many things but I'll, I'll try to stay on one track for now yeah i mean he seemingly is doing it in service of in his mind something good right he wants to protect his friends so it's not right. as if he's just like making this sinister turn where he has like his own right. objectives and you know wants the crown for power and stuff no he He's doing it to help his friends, but obviously it is a very iffy choice considering he might be damning thousands, tens of thousands, who knows how many people to death or, you know, or worse. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, he's taken such a, a keen interest in it very quickly. And like, I wonder, my question is, do you think 
in that moment where he tried to be like, hey, I'll carry it for a while. Do you think that there was something more to that? Do you think it was him just trying to take the load off Dariax now that he no longer is getting sick from it? Or do you think like, hmm, I made this deal, so I need to be the one that's that's in control of this? I don't think it's so overt that he's like, I made this deal, so now I need to work it out. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's like a, um, I, I don't want to like Mephisto this, but <laughs> I think part of it is like, you have this item that's made you extremely ill, not just like I feel queasy, but like so sick that I'm vomiting like this dark bile-esque stuff that now you're seemingly immune to. I'm sure there's a bit of a rush of excitement around like, I don't want to say like newfound power, but like, comfortability with it of mm -hmm. like yeah i i i'm okay with not I'm not just okay with carrying it but i'm a bit earnest in like now i get to carry it but i also think that um i do think there's a subtle manipulation happening here where the crown is affecting him where um he is feeling a comfortability with the idea of not necessarily handing it over to Pasca, but basically getting rid of it. And he's even being told by Darax as they're talking about like potential group names. You know, they're really Darax especially is saying, like, yeah, we need a group leader. And Dorian, you're you're our leader. Yeah. And so his I don't want to say his ego's being stroked because he's not he hasn't been a very egocentric character. But I do I would understand him feeling a greater sense of responsibility to the circlet of being told, Hey, you're a leader. Um, you know, you're, you're a big part of this group and him also thinking about the future of the group wanting to protect them. Um, that's my very long winded way of saying, yeah, I, I don't think it's just, Hey, I'll carry it. I, I do think there are a lot of other factors in play there. Yeah, I agree. And it's just interesting that like, Part of me is wondering, like, on a meta level, like, above the game a little bit, like, if Abria gave them any type of, like, notes about, like, hey, this circlet is influencing you, like, subtly or whatever, right? And so, like, I, like if that is, like, to inform their character choices at all, or if this is just pure, like, on Robbie's end to, you know, kind of do this. Because I agree that it is intentional, and... um that it is like the crown's influence on him, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like we've been seeing, especially this episode, the influence of it like kind of seeping into everyone's dreams. And I think it was in the second in the second night of camping where like they started seeing spiders everywhere. Like right. Ed had some on her arm, and like, and I think I don't remember who noticed it, but like it was mentioned that there were lots of spiders and all the trees like around them right. and stuff. So it, its influence is clearly like getting stronger and seeping further in. Do you think it's because they're, I mean, they're pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I mean, is it now that they're away from civilization that it's the loudest, so to speak? Or is it, is it more like time, like longevity? We've been around it so long that now it's becoming, so to speak, louder and louder. I think the latter, I think both, but leaning more toward the latter that it's like they've spent an increasing amount of time with it, uh, you know, and as her presence is even just becoming more is becoming louder you know like literally speaking to all of well not all of them but a lot of them in their dreams and you know making them offers and stuff like yeah i think and, and the where we are which this is a whole other conversation i don't know if we're ready to get to that yet but I, where we are might play into it as well because we're seemingly in like these 
mystical for lack of a better word right like ruins that there seems to be be it fey energy or at least just some type of energy that's like perpetuating this whole place so maybe that is amplifying it or something um i, I do have more on that but i i want to i want to try to hold that yeah. for now until we finish this it, it does seem like um the the circlet's definitely affecting them and it's gone from like dreams of spiders or seeing spiders to now full-blown conversations which um you know dariax who's sort of been the lovable idiot is visibly shaken by his dream and um man robbie did such a great job acting his dream with maybe the spider queen or the circlet i don't know which one it is but um the tension between the party yes. is most is what I'm most apprehensive about. I mean, you have Dorian basically blatantly being like, you have this person, Fiorai, who has shown up, wasn't asked to show up, but sort of put herself out there to protect the party, has done nothing but try to do what's in the best interest of the party. And Dorian makes it very clear, hey, you're not one of us. Like, you're not part of the group. And even so much as um, we see Dorian and Orem have i mean the moment where orem says you know give it to the dwarf or we're gonna have a problem i mean yeah. i leaned forward i was like <laughs> i was okay, like what oh, is it's going down yeah i was like what is happening here yeah and they even get very catty with each other where dorian says basically well this is whole this whole thing's your fault because the one way we had to get rid of the circlet you got rid of that option because yeah. you sent the note in the box which gilmore had given them a box that you could send the circlet back in only had one use and they decided to send a note saying uh basically the thieves guild the nameless ones were looking for him yeah. and uh so uh dorian points out twice actually hey or remember this whole thing's your fault right. <laughs> so we're seeing some inner party drama that for a party that's you know they woke up episode one like immediately liking each other coming off this party with together you know believing the best in each other to now there's some actual strife and tension between them yeah and i think it's even mentioned that like i think i think Abria like mentioned kind of that robbie felt some type of way about it and i think that's also the spider queen's influence right like she might be kind of festering this What's the word like distrust or strife right. between them um but i was thinking about it when you said that and you know orum's kind of been like the moral compass or like the, the steadfast sure. in his values the whole time and uh he, i was just thinking about it he's the only one that did not get well besides Fiorai, he's the only one that did not get like approached by the spider right. queen and i guess that's because of his alignment um but it's just and i thought i thought that moment with even though it was really like tense, that was such a great moment. Uh, and Liam like played so well to his character being like, you know, we're going to have a problem. You need to give that back. And uh, I just like that. He still is kind of that, like that grounded center um, force for this party. And is like, you know, trying to guard them in that way. Um, he's, but, he's a very wholesome character. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't help but root for him. I mean, there's just something admirable about him that you just get behind and even in his his conversation with the voice in the jungle at the runestone when he's asked you know will you go deeper for more knowledge and he says will it help my friends and she says maybe yes or something to that effect and he says for him then for him i will for them i will yeah we don't necessarily know who he is but 
he's just he's very clearly a courageous noble i mean you just can't help but root for him um which makes me so angry that we only have three more episodes with him <laughs> um i love all these characters man i just can't imagine not seeing them again i know me too they've quickly grown very uh very attached yeah. i've quickly grown very attached but yeah just since you just said that while we're here uh i was i caught that too i was about to bring that up the fact that he said for him i will for them i will so clearly he, he had a similar moment in one of the early episodes where he referred to a her and you know we postulated that that was keyleth and it ended up being her so the for him i will it's, it's uh, to me it's, it says like that's his partner like his significant other Mm-hmm. And uh, just to get this out there in case it happens to be right, I do think that, that his character Aura might be connected to another character named Derig. Derig, I might be saying it wrong, who's from another uh, one shot that they've done years ago. And um, I just think it'd be super interesting if that is who it was. So had to hmm. had to get that prediction out there while we were talking about it. <laughs> I have no idea who you're referring to, but <laughs> if this ends up being true, I hey YouTube for. <laughs> I was here for the journey, I guess. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who that... It's obviously a big... Um, I've seen some interesting Reddit comments on maybe this individual is the premise for why he seemingly left the Arashari, whether it was by choice or by force, um, or maybe a self-imposed exile or something. Um, I think that's what's challenging about an eight-episode arc is we're we're clearly not going to get every answer every question we have and we may not fully know his backstory right in the constraints of the next three episodes but again going back to orm i think you said it really well he's definitely the moral he's the grounded moral force of the group mm-hmm. um and you, it does make you wonder without his presence in the group really where this campaign would have gone yeah um because he's been even though dariax is sort of lovingly pointed to dorian as you're the leader Orem's really kind of the dad who yeah. is really pressing them forward and keeping them on in tune, I guess, with what they should be doing. Yeah, and I, for my money, I would say Orem's the leader. Um, I think Derry actually kind of looks up to Dorian, so that's why he always. Oh yeah, I think it's like time. best friend. Like you're awesome, man. Totally. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, but yeah, I. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I feel like the campaign would have taken a completely different direction because they probably just would have worked with Posca, you know, like because he was the one that kind of was pushing them away from that. But yeah, man, I just. Okay, I'm going to slightly transition here unless there's something else you add on that. Okay, so still on Dorian, though, you know, when he's he has that dream that, you know, he ends up changing his alignment and making that kind of deal with the Spider Queen to get his memories back. Well, first and foremost, that the dream, I think, was a memory. That's kind of how it was played mm, that with uh, right. Firarai, like getting grasped by those tendrils, because he says, like, you know, I try to, like, go help her. Or he says something to that effect at the beginning of the, the dream. And uh, Abri is like, you know, you feel poor. You feel kind of like a pushback because that's not what happened. So to yeah. me, that says like, oh, this is like he's looking at a memory. Right. And then at the end of this sequence, you know, when she ends up ultimately fixing his memories and he remembers, you know, he remembers a being in the Feywild with Firai. And so I'm imagining, you know, we, we again, we don't have details, but Firai does some sort of like sacrifice play or enables them to escape. 
So I'm imagining that that might be the last thing he saw, like, as they were leaving. Like, he saw Fimurai getting, like, grabbed by these tendrils or whatever. <clears throat> and so, one, while we do have some answers now that they were all in the Feywild together and all of them escaped except her, we still don't know the why of any of that. Like, why were they there? What was going on? What is grasping Fimurai? Is it Spider Queen? I didn't really get that vibe. But maybe, but what was super interesting to me was, it, I'm trying to remember the context of how it was brought up, but I think it was when the Spider Queen was like, I I need a champion, and Dorian's like, well, you know, not me or my friends, and they specifically bring up Fire Rai, and the uh -huh. Spider Queen's like, oh no, I don't want her, she's tied up with something like older and meaner than me. Yeah. <laughs> and so... I was like, okay. Yeah. And so my this is all leading up to like a question that we can maybe speculate here. Do you think what she meant by that was whatever was holding her like in that memory? Or do you think it was like like whatever she's talking to and stuff, like when she like uses her gift? I think the most direct answer is it's the gift. It's the person she's talking to, um, who seemingly is potentially the same individual who's also asking the party, why are you here and what are you doing? Um, it doesn't seem to line up though with how that individual, that God, so to speak, has been characterized in that um, a bit more playful and curious rather than nefarious. So that makes me wonder, is this figure more than meets the eye? Or is it like you said, there's something totally different, i.e. this shadowy force that she's wrapped up in um, I actually wonder if that memory wasn't Fira Rai, but she mentions a twin sister who died. If it was even Fira Kai that he's remembering being consumed and eventually killed, and that Fira Rai is just privy to knowing what happened. Um, that's one under the table theory that I have <laughs> that I'm not fully certain about. That's super interesting. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, they're twins, so I mean, it could be. And um, the while we're talking about it, the voice that spoke to them in the jungle and you know is seemingly the entity that Fiorai is communicating with. It we are revealed that it is Melora, the Wild Mother, at, toward like the end somewhere in there. Like she's like, I'm a goddess, and you know. Yeah, I I heard it said, but I didn't catch it fully. Is this a previous character? It's a, it's like a god, one of the gods. Yeah, okay. Um, which I don't know though, especially given what we were just speculating about about this older and meaner entity, is that I don't, I'm not convinced that it really is the Wild Mother, meaning that either Fira and this entity are lying, or maybe Fira is also being manipulated, and just this mm. entity is lying. But I don't know because it's. The and I know Matt's not the DM anymore, but thus far in all like critical role and stuff, the gods, like the real gods, i.e., the wild mother Melora, have never been that like direct or or chatty, you know? Like it's always more subtle, like dreams and not with like the literal god like speaking to you conversationally. So I mean, here we have a Brienne, so maybe this is just her style. She's not you know, mm. she's just more direct. But it could also mean that maybe this isn't the Wild Mother, you know? And maybe this is oh this like an entity that 
is manipulating Firarai or or everyone that like lives in these woods or something. This is a Tyrael and Bale type situation <laughs> from Diablo 2. <laughs> he thinks it's Tyrael. Yeah, exactly. Because and if it if it's not the Wild Mother and it's this entity that's like lying to them, like trying to you know trick them into coming into its domain or whatever the case may be then that would kind of line up with the spider queen being like, Oh, that one's mixed with something way worse than me. Um, if, if she was referring to the, this wild mother, that's not really the wild mother. I don't know. We're getting into Mephisto kind of like what if territory, but I'm just, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced. Um, Cause I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of strange things about all the circumstance to me. Yeah, and it 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 was interesting for Rai as they got to the runestone. I mean, she's almost it's almost like her grabbing her popcorn, so to speak, and like watching it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it's almost like she knows this test is going to happen. Yeah, because uh, she she preps them, even as like she can see them all having like their individual sort of conversations, so to speak, with this character. Yeah, and she's sort of smiling and seeing it happen. And even when the crocodile comes out she's very hesitant to jump in. It's kind of like, are you going to, do I really need to get involved in this? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's like both, it's both. She seems to be very comfortable with, with this presence she's engaging with, but also like you said, yeah. I mean, I don't know the other interactions from the previous campaigns, but there is a bit of a um, dissonance there between the, character and the interactions we're seeing and maybe how we would frame this this wild mother uh, in her own mind um compared to this dark nefarious figure that even Lolth is the spider queen is saying oh yeah it's much worse than me so yeah. i don't know and that obviously wasn't nothing right like that you don't just say that for no reason like that i feel like that was a a clue to something that there's something going on with fear Raya. maybe maybe that really is the wild mother and maybe Okay, I'm kind of shifting to a different possibility here. What's going on with Fira Rai? She apparently sac- I keep using the word sacrifice. We don't know that she died, but she right. she did something to enable the rest of them to escape, and they've all forgotten right. this. So how did she then escape? How is she here now? Has she made if that is the Wild Mother and everything's on the up and up, maybe then she has now made a pact with some devil that's far worse than the spider queen in order to come back and like try to protect them again from mm-hmm. something is she from the future too we have we have a dark fur yeah. that's seemingly from the future and we have the fear of right yeah. it seemingly knows more than she's letting on how does she know these things and well and she even jumps out when dark fern comes out and basically says you're not going to mess with this party like she's she's in tune enough to like because she even mentions that that's like that's not like the moment that she's actually been following them. She basically says, "I've been I've been watching you guys for a while," right? Um, and it makes me want to go back and watch previous episodes where there's sort of a perception check for things outside the camp or in the distance or what have you. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if maybe that was Fear Arrive watching them. Um, we always assumed it was Pasca, but yeah, she does basically say, "I've been watching you for a while." Um, she seems to imply that she sort of I don't say woke up one day and was just somewhere. But for all the, um, it's interesting that she decides to jump in when she does, 
because she even says earlier that she was going to jump in and help. But when Posca and their group was surrounding them, yeah, but basically points to Fern and says, Hey, you're, I didn't have to because of your charm person. So it's interesting with dark Fern, how, when the combat hasn't even started yet, she has the sense of this is serious enough to immediately jump in, immediately help and feel this sort of duty to protect the party. It's, it's weird, especially that her knowing what happened, that she wouldn't be direct and just say, Hey guys, you guys don't remember this, but here's what happens. That, that part is strange to me. Yeah. Why is she like, why is she hiding that? Right. You know, unless there's, I'm not trying to go too crazy here, but unless there are, it's like she's from the future and can't like can only alter what's going to happen in, in so many ways or something. But it, yeah, it makes me wonder if she is from the future, which we talked last episode about like now we're getting shenanigans of like time travel and all the, yeah. you know, the cumbersome dialogue around that. But if we're seeing the party that I'm trying to know how to say this. If the party is on its way to its own doom, maybe it's kind of one of those things where like the person's from the future and they can't say how you're going to die, Mm -hmm. but they want to be as involved as, or I think of like Dr. Strange with Iron Man. Like if I tell you it won't happen, maybe she is a bit aware of future events. Um, Cause isn't like time, isn't there some kind of time effect in the Feywild anyway? Like maybe she mm-hmm. has seen the fate of the party and she's actively trying to prevent that without overtly being like, hey guys, this happens a week from now. Um, <laughs> you know, Dorian, don't put that crown on. You know, <laughs> Dariax, you know, don't eat that pie. <laughs> it's going to make you feel real sick. Um, I don't know. I don't either, man. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like I feel on one hand kind of crazy to even speculating time travel, but on the other hand, I feel like there are some breadcrumbs there. And my my best guess right now, and I I don't know about the the wild mother yet. I don't really know how I feel, but my best guess is that she made some sort of deal with something, and that is how she escaped from whatever situation she got herself in in order to let the rest of them free. And maybe it sent her back in time, or maybe it's maybe there's no time travel involved, but it has now just like poofed her back to her friends. I don't know, but maybe it's the War Queen. Yeah, it could be. Seems like an important enough character to not mention again. But then again, that could be a setup for CR three. Um, excuse what? me, uh, campaign three. What's interesting though is if if she did make some sort of deal with the devil, right? Then like. What is it? What is, what is the devil's true plan here? You know, like if she's being manipulated, then the reason she's there is not to actually help them. Probably it's like you know might right. be to set things in motion that I don't know. But one one thing on this is I'm trying to find the exact quote. Is you mentioned it in the recap, but it's after like the the tension with Dorian and yeah. everyone else, and she says you know she's reaching out to that that thing she speaks to, and she says. Please, I know he has changed. I know he will not make that same decision twice. Which that kind of speaks to the future, maybe. Like some is it some decision he made in a past time loop that, you know, that's what they're trying to change this time? Or does she just somehow know about, you know, the deal he just made with the Spider Queen and that's what she's talking about? I love this question 
that or uh, this question. I love this line from her because it is a it's a line that has so much depth to it. Because I think my immediately my immediate thought when she said it was she was just intuitive to he's he did something in his dream that's changed him, and she's sort of pleading to you know her deity or whatever, like you know have pity on him because he was the only one who was a bit more aggressive and even threatening with the wild mother. It does make you wonder, did something happen in the past that caused her to have to sacrifice herself? Or is she aware of something that will happen in the future that she's trying to help avoid? I don't know. There's a lot more to Dorian in her interaction than meets the eye. Yeah, there is. And one possibility I was thinking is that like, you know, since we were privy to that exact memory, which, you know, he was shown in his dream of, of Fiori getting tangled up. At, it's presumably the memory of like, as he's leaving, like that's what he sees. Maybe the decision was that he left and didn't like try to help. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. So like maybe that, you know, he won't, he won't abandon me again. Like this time he'll make the right choice and like try to save me before he leaves or something. I don't know. I have this really sinking feeling that Dorian is on the way to being um, maybe evil's too strong a word, but losing himself. Um, you know, he's been the feel good, you know, the bard in the previous three episodes. And now, you know, this episode's very um, interesting in that he's. He's tense. He's paranoid. He's a bit challenging with Orem and Furai. Um, I'm really uncomfortable with where his character's going. And you and I talked about this a little bit, but Robbie, the actor who's playing him, tweeted out, actually, and maybe this is Mephistoing, I don't know, tweeted out, um, how do you play, how does a character play a villain? Oh, yeah. And says, you know, you don't, he basically paraphrasing, he basically says, you don't make like this, um, overly cliched like nefarious like ha 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 cackling bad dude but you actually simply play a human who's making real decisions and real choices that they personally believe is right give me a very much like a thanos vibe <laughs> to his tweet and it made me wonder are we seeing does 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 robbie above the table know where the story goes um I mean, is it is it truly a um, on its own eight episode arc, or is this feeding and setting up something for campaign three? And some of the voice actors are a bit in the know on, hey, this is the direction. You know, the the journey is a bit up in the air in, in terms of how you guys get here, but some of the major plot points that are going to happen is one of them him being eventually corrupted and becoming. I don't know, man. And maybe now's a good point to mention the text you sent me on. Are the characters of this of EXU going to become the big bad evil people for campaign three? I just I don't know. Yeah, the, the reference I just I, I saw this meme and it was like if you're, this is obscure meme, you probably aren't familiar with it, but it's like the comic of a guy wearing a shirt and it says no fear. And then the next comic panel is like somebody saying something and they say, what if EXU, what if the cast of EXU is being set up as the big bads of CR3? And then the next panel is the shirt says one fear instead of no fear. <laughs> but I mean, that would be crazy. And it's definitely like on the table. I don't think that's an impossibility, but 
I don't know. I don't really like believe that, but I am I'm visibly <laughs> upset and apprehensive at this because I've really fallen in love with these characters so quickly. Like they're just great. They're acted well, they're fun. And the idea of them descending into madness and becoming evil, I mean, that is so unsettling. I mean, it'd be amazing for campaign three in terms of a setup, but I hope that's not where we're heading. And I not I don't say I hope that in terms of like as like a critic, like I hope that's not what they're gonna do. Just personally, I just yeah. hope that's not gonna be the case. And I think you brought up a good point that if if that is and not that that exactly, but if something like that is what's happening, then I think it would have taken meta knowledge, right? Like Abria would have had to tell them before they started that like, hey, you know, this is what's going to happen. Like, I think I briefly mentioned this earlier about like, did Abria like tell them that, you know, the Spider Queen's presence would be influencing them and to like use that to inform their decisions? Um but if if the if the goal of the show is to end up with be it Dorian or be it whatever like as an evil big bad like he would have to have been told that right like right. you can't just count on that to happen organically and not that they wouldn't do that but I do feel like that's kind of like and I mean who knows this is a new DM new series like maybe they're trying different things but that would be really like the antithesis to what like they've yeah had D D be so far a bit overhanded a yeah. little bit a little forced so but i will no. say i mean it is possible because like this isn't this isn't critical role campaign three it's this new thing so maybe like maybe they're trying something like that but the one thing that makes me lean into it not being that is the fact that abria like in the moment at the table was like hey above the game right now would you really do this so like you know th that right. was like a surprise to her in that moment yeah. like, and not something that seemingly was planned if she had to ask him that but uh, and, <clears throat> go ahead i'm just so impressed with abria and robbie both i mean abria so quickly um playing on this dialogue and these responses from robbie and then robbie internalizing he's never played DD before he's internalizing this okay now you're chaotic neutral and he doesn't like suddenly play it as like this um <laughs> he's so he's he's just great at being at showing that subtle difference mm -hmm. and um i don't know how much prep he went into before this episode but um i mean i one we you and i joked before we hit record on like the critics of the show and like some people being really obnoxious about you know I hate it. <laughs> One thing I've seen is just universal praise for Robbie. And I think every episode he's really earned that. Yeah, he's killed it. And like you said, they all the new people have. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, super impressed, especially if there was no meta direction, which I don't think there was. But especially if there wasn't like what great, like on the fly, like nuance and acting to like to do in that moment you know to like just already on your toes immediately be making those changes to the character not i don't know i don't know i'm not saying this right but yes very impressive from robbie uh you know especially for having never played D, &D before uh I, I did see that that um some people were kind of upset by that moment that uh abria like asking him that out of game and they're like you know she shouldn't have that's not like how this game works like robbie like she maybe should have asked hey make a persuasion or a deception based on you know what if like you know if you're being earnest or if you're trying to lie 
Um, but I, don't, I didn't really have a problem with it. I, you know. Yeah, I I don't know how much time we should dedicate to this. Like what I'm about to say, I don't know if this is like a full blown like section or if it's just like a comment. But um, I think for people who love D and D, it's and you said this a second ago when we were talking about like the meta, um, like where does this go? And you said it's kind of the it's kind of the antithesis of you said critical world, but it's also a bit opposite of what D and D is, which is this open sprawling world that you're sort of on this journey of discovery and yep. imagination and it can go pretty much anywhere. It's like, you want to do this, you can do it. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, it's kind of what excites us most about the game is like, what's going to happen. Right. I think, I think also with that, people have to understand that also what makes D and D special is the person who's in control of the table, the DM, the GM, whatever terminology you want to use is going to bring their personality, their personal flavor. Right. Um, I think that, I think Matt Mercer is amazing. I think that we're a bit unfair when we talk about Matt Mercer because he's so well loved at this point. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the tables were turned and Matt Mercer was coming in for like week one um, after a really big show, if people would show him the same criticism that they're showing Abria. Um, because Matt has his own personal style. He has his own take on how he does things. And some people love that, and not everyone does. And I think I think sometimes we're being a bit unfair to Abria on like that comment you just said of like that's not how it should be done. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no book in the player's handbook. There's no page in the player's handbook that says, here's how you narrate, <laughs> you know, dialoguing around alignment. And yeah. so I, I think I think for us as viewers, it's important for us to recognize the difference between like the core principles of the game. And our preferences for how we like to play the game. Yeah. Because this is absolutely a preference thing. And I think the sooner we divide those things out, the easier it becomes for us to just enjoy the show. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, that's different than how I would do it. And it just, that just being it rather than <laughs> that's different how I would do it. And I don't like it. And it means this. And it, yeah. I'm so angry about it. Um, I had, I had zero issues with that scene. I had zero yeah. issues with how she ran it. But at the same time, I'm recognizing that is, this is her game to run. Why am I being, why would I try to be so strong armed with it must be like this? Um, and you know, that's just how people, people just are that way. I mean, you and I have joked about, DMs in the past who are like, you know, my job's to kill the player. <laughs> that that is just how someone approaches the game, yeah. and everyone's going to have a different preference. I think we just, I think we have to be comfortable with that. End rant. <laughs> oh, yeah, well said, well said. I agree. Um, I didn't think it was anything to be upset by, uh, but uh, yeah, that very impactful moment to perhaps the entire campaign. So it'll be interesting see what happens i don't know yeah are you i know we kind of talked about this last episode uh about who we thought maybe would be the one to put on the crown ultimately i think we were both kind of leaning opal at the time are you now team oh my gosh (laughs) all right so this is a great question (laughs) if i can rant and spiel again here (laughs) i think dorian's the clearest option i think he's the clearest option in terms of being tempted to put it on I think Orem is the caveat to that. I don't know if Orem will let him put it on. I think he's the most aware he's got his of. Eye on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still think Dariax, out of stupidity, putting it on is a possibility. <laughs> Opal is still a possibility if she comes to terms with if Ted's really dead or gone or something. I could see that happening. 
Fern seems to have sort of conquered her temptation a bit in this last episode where she sees Dark Fern and says, I don't think I'd like this version of me. Yeah. Um, and then I think Fear Rise, a nonsense answer. I don't think Fear Rise ever going to answer, put it on. Maybe Orem out of um, like the saving the party. Play? Yeah, maybe. I don't necessarily see his character doing that because he's, he's clearly aware of how evil an item is. But mm-hmm. all that to say... I think Dorian is the clearest option followed up by Dariax. What do you think? Yeah, the the Fern thing interests me, and I'm I'm probably reading too much into this because of the whole time travel aspect, which again, we don't know if that truly was Fern from the future that was in that the gateway or not. But if it is time travel, then we would be led to believe that that would inevitably who puts it on, right? Because that moment has to happen. I don't know. We're getting, I'm getting into the weeds of time travel. So I still think Fern's on the table, though. I do agree that, um, she just conquered the temptation in that dream sequence she had, but I don't think she's a hundred percent in the clear yet. Um, mm-hmm. I, the thing with Dorian is he, we clearly have these whole moments in this episode and he's clear. His alignment has changed, but for him, it, it wasn't about putting it on. It was about giving it to Posca. Right. So, mm-hmm. And maybe now that he's kind of taken the first step on this path, additional steps will lead to him ultimately wanting to put it on, like as the Spider Queen like gets her influence in him deeper. Um, but you know, for now, it's just about giving it away to Posca. So for me, I kind of still thinking Opal might be the most likely to put it on, just because, um, you know, she even said that like. I think it was last episode that like she was looking at it and she like made up her mind and there was just some like right. something she said about like you know recognizing that as like a potential move she could make um but so yeah i'd say opal and then like dorian is like a second second place for it me definitely seems like we're heading that way there's there's been a lot of foreshadowing that someone in the party is going to eventually put it on mm-hmm. um two things one I don't see Dorian's line of reasoning of giving it to Posca panning out since the spider queen basically says, while it's interesting to have her as a champion, she, I think she says like she wouldn't be here in time or she's too far away, which that's a bit interesting in terms of what's with the sense of urgency, I guess of, I missed that. I didn't catch that. That was because it's, it's at the end of the dream where she, he says, yes, I really would give you Posca. And she's intrigued by it, but basically says it Posca's not anywhere near here. So I, it, that wouldn't work out. Um, I thought, and I, I don't remember, um, but I'll just see if this, if this rings any bells for you that, that he was like, you know, I'll get it to Posca. And I thought the spider queen said like, Oh, don't worry about that. Like she's coming to you. You don't need to go get her. So it was more of a, like a, hmm. she was saying no to like, you don't have to go seek her out. She's coming. So to me, I thought I thought Posca was like the Spider Queen was like on board with that decision. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go back and watch it. It does story wise, it does seem like we wouldn't be done with Posca. It mm-hmm. does seem like she'd be you know on her way in route. Yeah. Um. We'll have to go back. I'll have to go back and check it out. The VOD isn't up yet. We'll have to go back and check out that point in particular um, and see what the case is. Yeah. Um, but it, it does seem like someone's going to put it on. And I don't think it's going to be Posca. I think it's going to be someone in the party. We still had that question in the last episode of the seed. You know, the seed begins to grow. 
Um, okay, yeah. Which, should we? I don't know if you have there? more insight. Yeah, no, if no, you have no, more insight on that. Uh, are you talking about Mirada? Yeah. Yeah. So that's we get her in the stinger, you know, and she's uh, she's got that residuum spike, and I think it, she she uses it, right? Yeah. So does she use it on herself? I think. My understanding, and we don't—I guess we don't know—but my understanding was that she used it on the ground, and she's in. She's where the party is, like right. She's in those ruins, and I think Abria—I don't remember the exact wordage, but she says like the jungle shudders or something, right? Does that yeah. sound familiar? No, <laughs> so, <laughs> it was—it was so wild to me the end of it because because I think she also says that she was like bleeding or bruised or something. Which I don't know if I misheard that as well. Okay, wait. I, I found it here. I'll just read it real quick. Okay. Murata Nicelor is broken, bloodied, and undeterred. But what is one more life when there is so much more to be gained? She pulls out a residuum crystal spike from her purple coat, cloak. The Laura's jungle, this sacred place, shudders. So I get it doesn't say that she slams it in the ground, but the fact that she like said that the place shuddered, in my mind, I imagined her like using it. And we still don't really know what those do. They cleaned up magic. But in my mind, like she has now set these all up around these ruins, this jungle, which there's apparently more than meets the eye to, right? I think that we'll just call it the Wild Mother, even though we're not convinced that it might be her. But yeah. the Wild Mother says that, like, no, these ruins are a lie. Like, this, there's stuff in here. So maybe, like, placing these crystals is going to like reveal the truth or like if there is some sort of like weirdness going on that now that the crystals are there, like the jig is up or something. I don't know. Why is she broken and bloodied? And what's up with the comment on what's one more life? If there's so much, I mean, wh who she killed? I mean, was it her teammates? <laughs> is she corrupted? Like what's, what's going on there? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's piece this out. And is one final thing: is this who Ted's looking at? Uh, in when she sees Ted looking at someone, yeah, because there's two references of like, yeah, Ted in the abyss wherever Ted exists. That Ted's like looking at someone that's looking at right. her, and right, and it's mentioned in the last part that that person's wearing purple, and here right. we're told that Mirada is wearing purple. So yeah, we I think I think it's safe to say in the second reference do you see the woman in the purple cloak i think mm -hmm. it's it's safe enough i assume to say that's Murata that she's referencing um the first one's interesting and would also seem to make sense that she's saying she's seeing the same character right which would maybe lead this all back to tie together is that mirada and when they first met you know what's the word psychically invaded opal's mind and mm -hmm. that's when Opal was talking to Ted. So Murata saw whatever that is. And so maybe that, for some reason, has set Murata on this quest that she's on now. And maybe a piece of her is still in Opal's mind. And that's why Ted's like looking at her or something. That's my best guess. I don't understand what vendetta or what like divine purpose she now like feels because of ted's presence or whatever it may be like and now to go further down the the hole the i i think ted's real i think ted is her sister but right if it's not maybe Murata recognized that there is this 
evil entity that is like influencing this girl and she's trying to stop it i mean i don't know it's just what's one more life when there's so much at stake like what's at stake i don't know yeah it, it does make you wonder if Marada's maybe not necessarily a um something's happened where now she's like this corrupted evil character but maybe more of a in her mind um you know doing what's best for the world and i'll even kill a good guy to save other people yeah um i do think and i'm what i'm piecing together is when opal looks inside herself and sees ted looking at someone else i do wonder if that's the moment where Murata is looking into opal's mind and sees ted and sort of comes face to face with ted if that's maybe what she's seeing i don't know um I think I agree with you. I think Ted's real. We know that people have by road and we're like, yep, she left right after you. Mm-hmm. I think Ted is likely dead. Like we said, um, like we said in a previous episode that maybe she made a deal of some kind and now she's sort of um, Opal's patron. I don't think Ted is directly evil. I do think it's possible that she's made a deal with something evil and Murata maybe senses that, sees that, or um, or maybe, you know, <laughs> I feel like we're running in circles here. Maybe Murata's just evil. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, and the fact, the fact that the but is what, what is one more life, I don't know if she is she referring to herself. Like, is she sacrificing herself in this moment to? She's obviously been through something. Yeah. Like, there was a sense of apprehension when they left them in the previous episode that they were leaving them with the Faygate gate that we just saw sent out this dark fern and potentially other, you know, bad creatures. Yeah. And we are left with this sort of sense of apprehension on, um, Hey, don't just don't go through the gate. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, okay. And so you do kind of wonder, did they go through it? Did they try to go through it? Have they been changed? I mean, does she now want the crown? I, I don't know. Yeah. Have we seen the residuum spikes in a previous campaign, by the way? No. Okay. If if we have, I don't remember. Uh, we've seen residuum a lot, but not in this like crystal spike form. I don't. I don't believe. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I, I we're not supposed to know the answer to these questions, obviously, but. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. Just in the fact that, you know, I think she, I'm getting vibes that she maybe killed her whole team. That's kind of what I'm thinking too, is yeah, she killed her whole team for sure. That's what I'm thinking. So yeah, she was either corrupted by the gate if she went through it, or maybe when she entered Opal's mind, was able to see what's going on with Ted. Maybe that got to her, but something. So I, I can't wait to see like what happens with this jungle. Cause like, is it really the wild mother? And maybe, maybe it's not. And maybe Murata somehow knows that. And she's going to stop this entity. That's tricking people into thinking it's the wild mother. Or maybe it's any of the other six things we just said, but right. So we have three episodes left. What are your predictions on where this goes? I don't know. Like, is this all (laughs) connected to the ash hole? Like what's going on there? Like, we've got, seemingly the spider queen is gonna that's gonna come to fruition in some form or another but i do you think the spider queen is connected to the ash hole 
Because I didn't. No, I, I, think, I think the ash hole is um, sort of like the running um, stable plot thread. Like this is our mission, but really this is a story about the party and their um, interactions with the Spider Queen. I think everything else is just an extra plot thread, um, which it can feel, I think, a little bit like spaghetti, you know, where all these, like, you're, you just keep adding more noodles to the pot. Um, for me, I think there has to be like a level of comfort. You have to find yourself a little bit comfortable with the idea of, yes, here's some added threads and they add to the story, but they're not necessarily what the story is about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think she's responsible for the ash hole. I don't know if we're even going to get full, um, a neatly tied ending to the ash hole. I do think the, I, I do think we're ultimately heading to something happening with the circlet. I agree. I agree. I think, I think the ash, I think there's something will happen with the ash hole too. I'm not saying it'll be like whatever that is behind that. I'm not saying that gets fully resolved, but I think that like there's more to the ash hole. <laughs> plot thread like you know because we're in these ruins to seemingly yeah. decipher something and there's more going on in the ruins than we're even aware of so like yeah it feels like there's like kind of three big things that are going on but i definitely think to answer your question that uh something's gonna happen with the circle someone's gonna put it on that's gonna come to a head yeah and maybe it involves time travel like maybe in that <laughs> moment like everything goes to shit and i guess i mean yeah. i guess they have to go to the fate wild at some point wait no i don't know they don't have to but we still don't know why they were there yeah i we're, we're heading to that being revealed i think also um there has to be like a level of understanding that like we're seeing world building happening in real time and that this is the world of Exandria. There's a lot of content that happens in this world. So, like, I, th- I saw one comment that was like, okay, well, you know, if the ruins of Quinera are this million person population, which is like 10 times or 100 times bigger than anything else in Exandria, yeah. why, why would they introduce this just to like try to resolve it? And I, I remember thinking, like, I don't know if they're necessarily going to. I think, I think some of these plot threads are just adding to the world yeah. of Exandria. Um, and not necessarily going to be resolved in three episodes. And I think us as the viewers, I think realizing that sort of takes the burden off of us of wondering how do each of these plot points get resolved. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah. I don't know. We only have three do episodes you, left. Do you think there's anyone who doesn't make it out alive? In these oh, next man. few episodes, I think it's definitely possible, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like Fear or I is like, I I don't know if I really believe in the time travel or not. But if if that's what's going on, I feel like she's almost like doomed. Like she always dies one. or something, you know. Like, um, but she's such a great character. She's she so uh, and Jolly. I can't remember her last name. Mm-hmm. Um, does a great job. Yeah, I can't remember anyone's last name (laughs) except for for Matt Mercer. Um, yeah, I think you said it really well. It does feel like her character's doomed. Nobody questions. We we actually got some answers, but I feel like we opened as as many more new questions. 
I feel like we always, I said this like every episode, but I feel like we always end the show with, I don't know. Man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we always say, Hey, you viewers, you guys are watching. If you know, if you have a theory, you have an insight of your own, definitely drop it into the comments. Let us know. We love interacting with people who are watching the Pixels podcast. And uh, especially if you have some really awesome moments that you loved from the Critical Role show, let us know down below or tweet at us at PXLists. Um, which, by the way, Will, is there anything else we wanted to talk about? Um, I don't think so, man. I should have asked that before I like did my little spiel on check out our Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think I think we covered no. all the big stuff. Well, the important thing to say is, is it Thursday yet? Because, man, I'm so ready. I know, me too. Uh, just a few more days. That's right. But, a few more uh, days. If if that's it, we just got to do our thumbnail. That's I have, right. I actually have an idea this week. Okay, what's we your could, what's your idea? Do some back to back like uh, Dariax and Dorian. So yeah, like, yeah. Which uh, which which way do I turn for your camera? You need to go the other way. This way. Yeah. All right. I'll do my I'll do my gun too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> you guys are weird. <laughs> we know. We know. All right. Well. Uh, for everybody listening, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And other than that, I think we'll catch you later. Yep. Bye, Deuces. everybody.